HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and it's a cold one, uh, Monday here in Brooklyn. And this this is really exciting, though, because we've got a, a guest on the line. She's a San Francisco-based PhD in neuroscience, actually, but she is the author of Summer Tomato, a blog all about health, nutrition, lifestyle, food, cooking, and lots of good stuff. It's Daria Rose. How are you? Good, how are you? Good, thanks so much for joining. Absolutely, it's exciting. You guys freezing out there, huh? It is absolutely freezing, yes. I'm very jealous right now. (laughs) (laughs) But um, such exciting times for you right now. You had The Foodist, your book that came out last year. It's called The Foodist, Using Real Food and Real Science to Lose Weight Without Dieting. Um, Sort of the anti-dieting book if you will. Is that right. <laughs> and it did, you know, it's a great title. Um, lots of copies going out there. I hear, you know, the foodist has become your like kind of uh, catchphrase too. Um, and it's, it's really exciting. And what, tell me about these pictures I've seen floating, at, floating around lately with you and First Lady Michelle Obama. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was random. Actually, a friend of mine invited me because she was going to be in town and it was a really small group. Uh, mostly women, and we just had a fantastic discussion with the First Lady about health and habits, and, you know, I was really impressed with how she grasped how hard it is um, to get people to change, and she understood that it was more than just, you know, education or, you know, giving people access to good foods. She was like, it's really tough if you give people access to something and they don't know how to use it, they won't change their habits. Like, habits is really what I like to focus on um, in terms of getting people to eat better because in my experience with my work, that's what I've found is people's hardest, like the hardest thing for people is not like knowing what's healthy, Mm -hmm. but like actually like making that decision to eat a healthy meal day after day after day. Right. Sort of like breaking a a new routine and... And it's totally exactly. integrated with a lot of different <clears throat> aspects of your everyday life. 
Um, that's amazing, though. So you had a you had a chat, and I can. Uh, it sounds like you guys are you know of of the same sort of um, um, like drive here. I'm trying to get people to eat more healthy in a very practical, um, you know, just consistent way. So congratulations! Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and also, I would also add because um, this show is all about words and literature, and you're blog summer tomato which is how long how many years old now oh gosh (laughs) early 2009 okay almost five years okay oh that's exciting five-year anniversary um your blog is so good like every time i look at a blog post title i'm like i totally need to know more about this um and congrats (laughs) and it was also i just uh noticed it was named one of the best websites in time magazine of 2011 not not yeah. just like food sites, but like websites. So that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Congrats! Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, you know, words. That's a, it's funny you bring that up because I. That's one of the things I talk to people about all the time. Is that like, you know, if you're like, for instance, like there's plenty of research that says um, if you use the word healthy to describe a food, mm. like ninety percent of people are going to assume that it tastes bad and isn't very filling. So, no kidding. You know. One way you can make, you know, eat better and eat, eat healthy and get other people to be on board instead of, like, judging you <laughs> is to just not use that word. And so, you know, I've realized that it's, it's really essential to choose your words correctly if you're talking about health because so many people are just turned off by it. And so I'm, I'm glad oh you like my, my headlines. That oh, that is so <laughs> That is so funny. And now that you mention it, I probably do mention, like, healthy. Like, when I say, oh, this tastes healthy, I mean it in a derogatory way. So. <laughs> Right. Um, what is a good way to say, like, uh, what what are some good uh, foodist-approved words um, instead, like nutritious, uh, wholesome? Uh, you know, no, you know, it's just I just like steer away from the whole like morally driven, yeah. you know, good health thing because it's just such a turnoff for so many people. So I like to focus on the attributes of the food itself because real food is like you know like in season delicious produce or like really good quality food that is what is healthy um it is really delicious so i focus on the flavor you know i say Mm -hmm. the taste you can also um you know it's really tasty it's really delicious or really juicy like a really good peach is going to be really juicy and sweet and you can use those attributes instead of calling it a healthy peach um or you know you can bring up words that um reflect some sort of nostalgia. Like, everybody loves grandma's apple pie, right? That's that's just apple pie. So you can, you know, if you cook something in a special way or if there's a cool backstory behind one of your ingredients, you can share that, and that will get people excited about it, even if it's broccoli or whatever. (laughs) Totally. So it's about, about like, evocative um, uh, meanings. Like Summer Tomato, for instance, the name of the blog. Yeah. Which is so fun (laughs) and, like, friendly, too. Um. All right, so I, I, n- I noticed that you had a few blog posts about, uh, you know, how to stay fit in the winter, but, um, you know, it's the middle of winter, um, and I, I don't know about you, but I eat such heavy foods, like I'm eating, like, bagels and pastas and, like, meat sauce, and <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so, and I, I think it has to do with the dearth of seeing all these, you know, beautiful, colorful summer tomato and zucchini varieties, Um that are um, right. at least in the northeast, not in season here, or you know, just maybe not as gr- not, not as delicious looking or juicy or at their prime in the conventional store because it wasn't uh, grown locally. Um, do you have any tips for like how to how to like eat 
and I hate to say the word healthy now, but (laughs) (laughs) how to eat more veggies basically in the winter when there's like gross looking, dirty kale and cabbages. I don't know. Um, It's it's limited. Um, It's limited. It is limited. Um, And, but you know, there are vegetables that are in season during the winter um, and they don't tend to be beautiful vegetables, but they have better flavor in the winter. For instance, like um, turnips and cabbage and, you know, certain winter vegetables actually get much, much sweeter as mm. it gets cold. So, you know, for instance, like radishes, like certain kinds of radishes can get really spicy yeah. in certain times of year to the point where I can't eat them. But like, um, you know, like a daikon, for instance, can be like the, the big Japanese, um, the big Japanese radish. Yeah, those are thing good. Get really, really spicy, but they're delicious this time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, what's great about the root vegetables and those, those heartier vegetables is you actually can cook them in ways that, it, that you know, with those heavier dishes, you know, in a roast or, you know, you can roast them and make it feel warm and really filling and really nurturing. Really but you're savory. still yeah. getting those veggies and, and, you know, you can kind of do both things at once. And I don't think you should ever, you know, say you shouldn't eat pasta and bagels. But <laughs> but you know, if you want to add the, add the veggies too, just remember that they're, they're delicious and they're the ugly skin. Yeah, I guess like maybe it's just like this mental connotation of like a uh, like something eating something raw, like a salad that just doesn't really seem to happen too much in winter with turnips totally. or I guess and radishes. Yeah, I think we like to have things that are warm and like hearty this time of year because you know I think our instincts are to tell us that like you know it's cold, you need to stay warm, you need to stay nourished because you could. You know, you have to eat things that are, like, dense and uh, calorie-dense. Um, and that's fine, you know, as long as you are still eating the vegetables, too. Cool. Um, so I was very intrigued by a post that you wrote about juicing recently um, and how it's sort of like this this religion <laughs> that a lot of people <laughs> are devout about. And, you know, the, some people take it as far as, you know, drinking juice only. Um, or at least going on a cleanse, and you try to cleanse, and you were like, I'm just hungry. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of science to support the cleanses. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, I know that I've talked to people that swear by it. Um, I would say that it's largely a placebo effect for, for some people, and then also, um, you know, if you aren't eating a lot of vegetables normally and you start consuming, like, all those nutrients, I can imagine oh. that you would feel great. But I if, see. Uh, but, like, if you, like, I, I recommend people just eat healthy all the time. Right. <laughs> and if you do that, then, you know, a juice isn't going to be, like, this life-changing thing. To me, it almost sounds like a sort of no-brainer way to get your greens in and, and like, kind of eat all these healthy carrots and stuff without having to prepare, chop, um, cook, um, but I guess that's good, I guess. But, you know, as you mentioned in your post, you, you just have to use tremendous amounts of vegetables and then you lose, um, a lot of the pulp, as they say, which is, which is where a lot of the fiber is from vegetables, right? When you strain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah so it's, it's just, it's this tremendous amount of work, you know, <laughs> and I, like, that's one of my, I, I love juice. Like, I have nothing against green juices. I think they're great, um. I wrote a post of, like a couple of years ago before this about buying a juicer because we were trying to juice at home for a while. And um, I just, you know, we've had three or four, and they're really expensive, and they're really hard to clean. And I just, like, my, my message is, like, I'm over this. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I know that some people really enjoy it, but, like, for me personally, it's just way too much work because I also have to buy, do all the shopping. Yeah. And, like, when I buy 
vegetables like okay I'm juicing half of them but I still need vegetables like for dinner uh-huh. so I'm like I can't fit all these veggies in my fridge so I'm fine just going to the juice bar and like getting my fix you know a couple times a week instead of you know forcing myself to do it all yeah. every day it's just too much for me and it, like I said I already eat really healthy so I don't need no. that as to like you know as like a nutritional supplement to my diet I'm curious about this fad though because um like as you mentioned like first of all getting a juicer that's pretty expensive and then storing all these fresh veggies that you know it all boils down to like you know a half a cup <laughs> for right. a huge lot of it um it's expensive and if you do go to the juice bar and get these nice fancy fresh juices um it's pretty expensive like you know 5 to 10 to 12 dollars a pop so how did this right. fad even like catch on? Is it an elite fad? Is it a? How did? Do you know? You know, there's there's a there's these groups of people that have been juicing for decades and swear by it, and there's all all sorts of myths around that like it cures cancer. Like I seriously get people like on my blog saying that like yelling at me for criticizing juicing. Uh, saying, oh, well, you know, it cures cancer. It's like, seriously? Like, <laughs> the juice or maybe the veggies do? Because I can see the veggies, well, yeah. Well, prevents, I mean, you know, like, yes, vegetables are associated with a decreased risk of cancer. It's oh. not like a guarantee that you're not going to get cancer. It's not going to cure, like, a, it's not chemotherapy. You know, it's not like a magical thing. And so I don't know. I think these rumors get started and, you know, you, you, you know, people meet somebody and they swear by it. You know, it's just like any other diet fad. They're often expensive and they're often cumbersome and, like, labor-intensive. But if somebody believes that it's going to, like, change their life, they're willing to go through that and believe to some extent that they're having this life-changing experience, even if it's just <laughs> vegetable juice. <laughs> well, you know, it sounds delicious anyway. Um... And, I, like I said, I think it's great. I just, like, yeah, to the point where people get get a give it a little more credit than it's probably yeah. deserved. Yeah, I thought it was a little odd that there wasn't too much medical research done on the benefits or possible uh, cons, too, of, of drinking a lot of juice all the time. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of studies about fruit juice, um, mm-hmm. and it's pretty clear that, like, too much fruit juice is bad um, because it's got such a concentrated sure. source of sh- um, I mean, you get the nutrients as well, which is great. Um, so it's not, you know, some people compare it to soda. I don't think that's quite fair. Mm. But um, it is, you know, if you if you have fear of diabetes in your family or if you're trying to lose weight, like too much fruit juice is definitely not as good as eating fruit. You know, that's what the science has said. So mm-hmm. I can't, um, but like, you know, the juice fad, the way it's been going for the last couple of years, it just hasn't been going on long enough for the scientists to like really take note. I mean, most scientists, like, if you talk to them, they totally dismiss this as just a ridiculous fad. Um, right. So, I don't think anybody's even... One of the reasons there hasn't been a lot of science is I think that people, the science, the scientific community hasn't really taken it very seriously. All right. So, what does the foodist think about another huge fad right now, which is a anti-gluten fad? Um, you know, there's a lot of pros and... Uh, there's definitely a lot of pros about eating whole grains, ancient grains, um, that happen to not have gluten, sure. Um, but, you know, now that, now that like, so many people have these wheat intolerances or discomforts um, from gluten, it, do you think that there's any reason why folks who are not yet, unaffect, or not yet affected, um, why, any reason we should avoid gluten just to 
perhaps uh, prevent any discomfort from happening or developing? Yeah, not, not, probably not. Um, there is definitely a percentage of the population that has a gluten, like, can be very life-threatening um, gluten, celiac. you know, allergies and intolerances. Right, right celiac. Um, I, I, it makes sense that um, there would be a few people with some sensitivities because gluten can be a bit of a gut irritant. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if you, if your gut has been struggling for years um, with, you know, lots of processed food and, and you know, your, your gut flora, um, you know, that's why people take probiotics is to sort of get those bacteria that live in your gut, like, in the right balance um, for health. And if, you know, if your gut has been sort of been abused by a bad, by a bad diet for a long time, um, I could see gluten huh. being an irritant to some yeah. extent. That said, um, I mean, it, gluten is a food group in China. <laughs> like they, you know, they, they <laughs> distill it and they make like food out of it. So it's not like it's innately bad for humans. Um, it's, oh it's yeah, fine. Satan, right? Satan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like it's 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 something that I know. people eat. It's not like poison, um, which a lot of people <laughs> think it is. But at the same time, like there's no harm in seeing if it affects you. So, I mean, just cutting it out for a couple of weeks. I mean, the, the, the allergy tests that they give are not very sensitive. So really the only way to know if it affects you or not is to just not eat it for six, eight weeks, something like that. Okay. And if you have problems and they go away, um, you've learned something about yourself. And then if you then at that point you can try to add it back a little bit, okay. you know, and then if you get a reaction, then you know that that's what was causing it. Um, but most people, like kind of what you were hinting at, most people really probably don't need to worry about it. And they would just, if, if you're having stomach problems or something like that, it's probably something else. You're probably not chewing your food enough. You're probably not eating enough probiotics and fermented foods. You're probably, you know, eating more processed foods than you should be. You know, things like that are much more common than like a gluten insensitivity. Oh, interesting. Um yeah, I like how you like kind of have that whole like approach. Whereas like maybe you're not eating enough uh, fermented foods, which is um, definitely something you can eat a lot of in the winter. Now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, um, you know it's, it's one of those probiotic. things that's really interesting that people um, in every culture in in human history has eaten fermented foods to some extent, except it's sort of notoriously lacking in the Western diet. Right. So yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's a more you know that's that's a very likely um i personally I've, I've had great help from eating like more kimchi and sauerkraut and things like that it's like settled my stomach amazingly um so you know i think people should you know figure out what works for them and try these different things wow cool advice all right we're gonna cut to a quick little musical interlude and we'll be right back chatting more i ain't looking for no trouble tonight I just want to hold you so nice and tight I ain't looking for no fight You're listening to Let It Go by the California Honey Drops on heritageradionetwork.org Since 2001, Heritage Foods USA has sold pasture-raised, antibiotic-free heritage meats to restaurants and homes around the country. Our farmers raise their animals with care using traditional methods guaranteed to produce the very best tasting meat. Our pork breeds include Berkshire, Red Wattle, Duroc, Gloucester Old Spot, Large Black, and Tamworth, 
and our beef comes from Piedmontese, Angus Akiyushi, Belgian Blue, Highland, Simmental, and Belted Galloway cattle. We also carry a rotation of 24 rare breeds of heritage chicken, seasonal specialties like lamb, goat, geese, and of course, heritage turkeys. Visit us online at www.heritagefoodsusa.com or give us a call at 718-389-0985 to place your order today. All right, we're back chatting with Summer Tomato, blog author, and also the author of The Foodist. It's Daria Rose. Hi. You still there? Hi. <laughs> All right. Yep. <laughs> All right. So I know it's a little late in the year for this, but maybe you've solidified some more ideas by now, uh, early Feb. But uh, do you have any food resolutions for this year? I don't know if resolutions. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I'm not a big resolution person in general because mm-hmm. I, I'm like, um, I've got this crazy personality type where I tinker with my life constantly and I'm very, very interested in behavioral change. So if I have something I want to do, I like, I dive in head first and I figure out what's preventing me from doing it, what could make it easier for me to do regularly, what the reward is so that I'm motivated to do it again and all that. So um, yeah. that's how I food and health in general, so I don't really have very many health-related ones, but one thing I would like to start doing, which I've never quite been able to integrate into my life, is cooking more from the cookbooks I have, because I have all these (laughs) amazing cookbooks, and I cook all the time, but I'm usually, like, exhausted, and, you know, when you get home from work or whatever, and you're just tired, and and I just cook stuff I already know how to make, because it's, like, super easy for me, so I wish I, like, I have this beautiful Japanese cookbook that I really wish I would dig into, so... Um, I hope I do. Fun. <laughs> I, really, I, haven't, I haven't set my my um, analytics on to how to get myself to do <laughs> <No>. this yet. <laughs> any, any day could be a new year. Um, but that's, <laughs> that sounds really fun. You know, broaden your horizons and repertoire and cooking. And I love how you have, like, a very practical kind of, like, hit list on your blog about, you know, simple principles every day that you can do um, <clears throat> without, like, dieting so uh quote unquote Mm -hmm. um and Mm -hmm. one of them is to learn to cook so and continue learning to cook it sounds like it's always a good way to kind of keep you motivated totally i think yeah people really struggle with cooking i found like obviously there's a group of people that that really loves cooking and that's a great asset especially if you're trying to eat healthier because Mm -hmm. it's much easier to eat healthy if you can control everything obviously that's in your food but um, so many people are out of the cooking habit. And, I, you know, Michael Pollan has written about this a lot. You know, we get, you know, we've, we've been sort of sucked into this convenience type of society um, where we never learn to cook. You know, I didn't, yeah. my parents didn't teach me how to cook. You know, then like half, you know, by the, my later childhood, they were, you know, popping the mac and cheese like all the other parents. But, um, you know, it, it's not as hard as people think. And this is one of the things that, is hard to remember when you're trying to do something new is that there's always this learning curve mm-hmm. and everything is harder if you've never done it before. Right? Oh, everything's going to feel more time consuming. Everything's going to feel more draining, but it's important to remember that the reason it feels that way is because you're bad at it. You know, it's because you've never done it before, but once you've done it a few times and that goes away um, and, this, and then 
and then you are somebody who can cook dinner by, like, just opening the fridge and seeing what you have and throwing something together, which is a great, great skill. And in a lot of ways, it's a, it saves you money, you know, because you don't have to go out all the time. And it actually, if you get, once you get pretty good at it, it's just as fast as, like, ordering takeout or, like, you know, as long as you already have the food in your fridge and you have a few basic skills to throw something together. Absolutely. I think it's fun to see what people come up with um, when they learn to cook sort of later on in, in their life. Um or mm-hmm. like, you know, early, their early adulthood, um, we could say. And instead of like kind of taking on these, uh, you know, rituals that um, they had been ingrained at with, I, I find that people use a lot more whimsy and creativity um, and kind of just kind of just figure it out as they go along, which is which Yeah, is that's interesting. Exciting. I started cooking later in life. I was, gosh, I must have been like 25 before I even like tried uh-huh. to cook anything. And um, I kind of, yeah, I kind of cook like a... I said the other day, I like a kamikaze. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I just Wait, all like turn up. Sorry, what? Like, <laughs> so you went for I it just, without knowing what was going to happen. It might, it might die. It might be a disaster. Is that what right, you mean? Right. Thought, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I just, I have no plan. Like, even if I have, like, a house guest right, coming right, over, like, right. I'll be like, I'll cook. And then I'll just, like, be like, I have no idea what I'm making. Like, I hope it ends up good. <laughs> What's the worst that can happen, though? I like that. That's... Take, take some risks now and then. <laughs> um, it's always worked out. Nice. Cool. Um, so, okay, uh, on the flip side of things to stick to or start doing this year, um, what are some foods that you think or maybe habits um, that are that you've identified uh, as pretty bad and maybe we should avoid, if any, even if they're common? I really common. don't like to say- bad <laughs> yeah um but they're you know basically the way i look at it is that we all have bad habits like we all have like things we like that are not necessarily healthy or things we do that are not necessarily healthy um but you know the way i look at it is first get like the basic things that you do all the time on the like healthier sides for instance breakfast right like okay a healthy breakfast is really easy to do. Like oatmeal is really easy. Eggs are really easy. It takes just a couple of minutes. And, you know, you know, people talk a lot about why breakfast is so important, whatever. The reason I think it's important is because then you have 30% of your meals for the day are healthy. Right? Uh-huh. That's a huge thing. You know, it's like if you like kind of 80-20 principle your, your health, you know, pick the big win. So breakfast is a huge one. Cool. Um, lunch at work is a place where a lot of people slip up and it's, you know, you forget what a big impact it has, but you're doing that five times a week, right? Mm-hmm. That's like another big percentage of your meals every week. So, you know, if you're, if you're having pizza all the time, like that's, that's a problem. So what, what you can do is if you upgrade that meal, then suddenly you're like way, way doing better. And then, um, you know, if, if you also manage to cook at home a few nights a week or mm-hmm. maybe uh, weekends or whatever, then, then if you want to, you know, when it's your anniversary or it's your birthday party, you can go and you can have a piece of cake and not worry about it because you ate healthy most of the time the entire month. <laughs> so like one, 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 it's not even a slip up at that point, you know, it's right. just like something budgeted and Intentional, yeah. Cool. Yeah, exactly. All right. I'm, I'm excited about that because like, you know, breakfast you mentioned is something I don't really think about too much and if I do, it's usually like a bacon, egg, and cheese on a bagel or something like that. So, um, yes, um, that's a that's a good one. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't do that that much, though. 
Um, anyway, um, so... <laughs> Um, like mumbling under your breath. Yeah, that's like that's an occasional intentional slip up. Yes, exactly. Right, right. Um, so, do you have any uh, plans to now that you know Foodist has been out for a while? Um, it did great. Uh, do you have any plans to to write another book? Uh, not yet. I'm still sort of in the Foodist. Uh, mindset. I'm still just trying to get um, that message in front of as, mo- as many people as possible. Cool. I'm definitely um, developing more of an interest in the behavioral change stuff that I mentioned because it's, it's become such a prominent um, yeah. obstacle for people in the work I do. Um, so, you know, at some point, maybe I'll explore that more in a new book. But right now, I'm just I'm, I'm gung-ho on the foodist. Awesome. That's so fascinating. And of course, Summer Tomato, the blog is still going and going strong. It could be like five books in itself with how many posts are on there. So congratulations to that. (laughs) And uh, thank you so much for sharing the wise uh, advice. That's about all the time we have for now. But um, everyone check out summertomato.com or check out The Foodist, the book on Amazon and wherever books are available. And um, thanks again, Daria. It was great having you. Yeah, thanks so much, Kathy. All right, have a good one. Thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>